Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Decided to come and, and step into talking about the flesh and our battle with the flesh. Let me tell you something. If you want to learn about what it means to battle with the flesh, go into lockdown for a week with nobody's company but your own. And that'll immediately give you a lot of fun in battling with the flesh. So let's just, uh, let's just step into what the Lord has for us today. And I want to just add one more scripture to what we've just heard. And that is this. Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, in uh, 1991, Woody Allen was being interviewed for Time Magazine. The interviewer was Walter Isaacson. If you recognize that name, it's because he wrote biographies of Steve Jobs and somebody else famous that I can't remember right now. He's done a couple of big biographies. And um, he was interviewing Woody Allen. And the reason he was interviewing Woody Allen, famous director, actor, if you haven't heard of him, he's a brilliant director. And uh, the reason he was interviewing him is Woody Allen had just gone public about a relationship he was in with a woman called Soon Yi Previn, which isn't such a big deal except for the fact that Soon Yi was the adoptive daughter of his partner. Woody Allen had been effectively operating in a father figure role for her for upwards of 10 years. And as she came, she was about 20 at this stage, and they had gone public with their relationship. And so Walter Isaacson, as a good journalist does, started to probe this He's like, so basically, what's the deal here? Um, this is not normal. And he you know, started, to, started to chip away carefully, using much more careful journalistic words than I'm using right now. And as he probed away, eventually he's like, look, why are you in this relationship? Do you, do you see any problem with it? And, and Woody Allen kind of paused. And then he said a sentence you're all familiar with, but you didn't know that Woody Allen coined it. The heart wants what the heart wants. And if you've ever used that in your life, and you may well have, because a lot of us have, you now have my permission to cringe at where it came from originally. At Woody Allen, a man in his 60s, justifying being in a relationship with a woman that he effectively helped raise as a child. That is concerning in a number of ways. And we treat it in a romantic, authentic way, but it doesn't sound so romantic, it doesn't sound so authentic when it's a stepdad talking about how they've effectively groomed a woman into becoming in a relationship with them, which is what happened. Welcome to Live No Lies. If it's your first time here, woo! <laughs> Spicy. My name's Mike. It's good to be with you. We are going into the flesh these next two weeks. We've been looking at the lies that we believe in our life. We started by looking at the patterns of this world. And then we spent two weeks on that. And we spent two weeks looking at the lies of the enemy, the way that the devil, Charlie Burke and myself talked about the devil and, and unpacked that. It's something you don't hear enough in church, really. Or maybe just the right amount, who knows. And now we're spending two weeks looking at the flesh. And there's this basic premise uh, that we're working under, and it'll be up behind me, but it's this. Uh, that there are deceptive ideas, that's the devil, that are applying to disordered desires, that's the flesh, that are normalized in a sinful society. 
deceptive ideas playing to disordered desires normalized in a sinful society. This is our working premise for live no lies. And it's because the world, the flesh, and the devil are these three historic enemies of the soul. If you've been here every week, I know you've heard that four times in a row, but it's good for you to hear again. Now we're going to the flesh. And so last chance to learn some biblical Greek until the next time I do it. We learned that cosmos is the word for the world. And we learned that diabolos is the Greek for the devil. But sarks, everybody say sarks. Yes, yeah, sarks is the Greek for the flesh. And like these other words, there are multiple meanings to them. The first is just our physical bodies. You, you hear these biblically referenced in different ways. Our physical bodies, sarks. That's, that's where we are. We are flesh. We are people. It can also be looked at as like ethnicity or a people group. Same word, the Greek word sarks. But what we are looking at today is that third definition, the flesh as what you could call sinful passions. Now, John Mark Comer, and it's his book that we're basing this series on, Live No Lies, great, great book. He defines the flesh as this, our base, primal, animalistic drives for self-gratification, especially as pertains to sensuality and survival. I would add this, it is your intense desire for an immediate want, whether that is good for you or not. It's just your intense desire for an immediate one. And look, we all know what this looks like because this is not necessarily a Christian idea by itself. Uh, this is an idea that is prevalent in uh, Islamic teaching and Buddhist teaching and secular teaching. This is no, not an exclusively Christian thought. And this is what it looks like in its most basic form. On the one hand, I want to get really fit, like a, a hypothetical eye, by going for a run three or four times a week. And on the other hand, I want to eat a bakery on O'Connell donut every single day. Like, just hypothetically, if this was somebody's real life, um, that is kind of what it looks like to be at war with the flesh, right? You are all familiar with this, this idea, and if you think you are not, oh, it's going to be a good day for you. We're all familiar with that war inside of us. We all know that struggle. Now, that's a light one to start with, although I must admit it doesn't feel all that light um, for me. But we're talking about this in a way that, I, I just got to say, this is probably going to be harder in a lot of ways than speaking about the devil because, or, or speaking about the world. Because when we talk about the devil, the devil is an, an entity of evil. And then we're talking about the world. There are these systems that are like, ah, I hate being influenced by the world. Ah, I hate the lies of the enemy. It's like, what about the flesh? Who are we blaming now? Oh, yeah, <laughs> me. So this is going to be confronting, friends. As we, as we look at the flesh, as I do it this week, as Tim does it next week, it is going to be a confronting time because the flesh is physical. It's personal. We carry it with us. And at times, it is the battle with the flesh that we feel the most. It is the battle that feels most overwhelming, most present in our lives because this is the stuff that hits us hard, hits us fast, and we feel overwhelmed by. So, before we go into the scriptures, let's go into some psychology and some philosophy. So, I'm sorry. Uh, Freud, Sigmund Freud, you're probably familiar with the father of modern psychology as he's often known. He was a neurologist, an Austrian. He was obsessed with people being in love with their mothers. Everyone's got a hobby. And Freud pushed forward two ideas that have effectively corrupted us as human beings. They have deeply entrenched themselves into our psyche and our understanding. Freud is probably the most influential uh, thinker in the terms of how the modern self understands themselves, whether it's true or not. Actually, a lot of Freud's thought people are a long way past that in modern psychology, but you can talk to a real psychologist about that. The first thought is simple. Freud postulated that God was an illusion, 
that we needed religion in early times as a structure, as a framework for early humanity to have so that we didn't give in to our most violent impulses. Basically, so that like tribes didn't go to war with each other. We had religion where God would say, don't go to war with each other. We'd be like, oh, well, I want to, but I won't because religion. So that's Freud's postulation, that there is no God. It's just a construct created to keep us well behaved. Maybe some of you think a little bit like that, basically. So he advocating, advocated rejecting God's view of morality because there's no real God to give him morality. You with me so far? All right, here's the second thing that Freud said. He said, our most important desire is for personal pleasure. Everyone has desires. Everyone has drives that they want. And what people should do, Freud postulated, is give in to their personal pleasures because if you have pleasure, you will ultimately feel happy and fulfilled, right? Yeah, well... We see how that goes. But that's Freud's basic premise with that. And he said, though, because desire without restraints leads to anarchy, and other people know that, other people are trying to oppress your pleasure, whether it's your parents, whether it's religion and the church, whether it's the government, there are structures being put in place to oppress your pleasure. So so Freud would say that repression is what's causing you angst and anxiety and depression in your life or what he termed psychosis. So, you with me? Okay. This is how John Mark Comer translates Freud, which is probably helpful. You're unhappy because other people won't let you do the stuff that you want to do, right? That's, that's how John Mark Comer would translate Freud. So no God plus pursuit of pleasure, that's Freud's vision for your life. And that's how we get Woody Allen saying, it's okay for me to marry my stepdaughter because the heart wants what the heart wants. And this is how we get pretty much all of our culture and the way we walk away from conversations that are too hard or organizations that ask too much of us, even if they're not asking too much, but they're just asking for our commitment. If somebody's not meeting our immediate needs, even if they're offering a deeper need, sometimes we run away. And we call it today authenticity. It's not really all that authentic. It's not really about discovering who we truly are. It's about pursuing our immediate gratifications. And friends, that's not the same thing. One leads to addiction. Authenticity as you live it today is a lie from the enemy to get you to take your eyes off of God and off his wisdom for your life. It's actually not about authenticity. It's about pleasure. And we have to stop thinking that our personal happiness is based on our emotions. Amen? I I think we know that, but this is the thing about the flesh. It's knowing it and then it's doing it. So Freud's legacy to you is that, really, that you are here today and a lot of your life is based on this. My happiness depends on my emotional state. And if I'm not happy, like if I don't feel happy, then I am not happy, I'm not content, which means that something's wrong. And Freud would say, the problem is out there with somebody else, in effect, repressing your pleasure, your happiness. That is Freud's legacy to you. It is the opposite of Christianity. It is an anti-God system, like in the world. Now, Augustine, before Freud came along for hundreds and hundreds of years, our mindset was not look within yourself for authenticity and, and give in to your pleasures. Our mindset was this, that there is an external authority that must be obeyed. And that mindset came and was shaped by Augustine, St. Augustine. He was the Bishop of Hippo in North Africa. And uh, Augustine was an interesting cat in his younger days. He really dived into the Freudian idea. He was Freud long before Freud. He really dived into the pleasure idea. In fact, so much so that he famously prayed, Lord, grant me chastity and grant me continence, but not yet. Right? That's his way of saying, can I just go on sinning just for a while now and then give me those things that I know I should pray for? Right? 
But Augustine saw that pleasure wasn't the answer. He had all the freedom in the world to pursue pleasure and his desires, and it didn't work. It didn't bring him happiness. It didn't bring him peace. So to Augustine then, desires weren't the problem. We all have desires. You have desires. I have desires. Desires are not the problem. The problem is the order we place them in. We put our desire for something, like a new Apple product, above our desire for God, and that then puts that in a position of idolatry, and it puts all the pressure of our hopes and dreams on that thing, and that will then crush us because nothing but God can sustain the fullness of our hopes and dreams. And so Augustine said, the problem is not necessarily your desires, whether it's about hunger or anger or sexual desire. It's not about whether that is right or wrong necessarily. It's about having a moral framework to look at it with. And there is only one moral framework that will truly sustain you, and that is God's moral framework, God's vision expressed and lived out most fully through Christ. That's what Augustine would want you to have. It's not just that they're disordered, though, like wanting junk food more than health food. It's that they become those idolatrous substitutes. Guys, wanting that gym body is fine unless it's becoming an obsession. Watching Netflix is fine until it gets in the way of meaningful relationships. These are, can you see the disordered desires here? Like, watching Netflix is not in and of itself wrong. It's when you put that above things that have true meaning and are drawing you more towards the person God is longing for you to become. You with me? You understand? This is why it's not great where you go, yeah, I'll binge. Like, Netflix is the first time in human history where we said binge is a good word. Both Freud and Augustine would agree on this idea. We are not thinkers, we're feelers. It's not that we can't think, but our primary response is not thoughtfulness. You ever been to the footy? I went to the footy yesterday. Find me a less thoughtful crowd than a football crowd. Like, I was just reflecting on the uniquely Australian sound of 20,000 voices screaming ball. Like, ball! You know, for holding the ball. It's just such a uniquely Australian voice. It is totally irrational. Like, 90% of the time it is wrong. In my mind, like 100% of the time, because I was going for the other team. (laughs) Because we're feelers before we're thinkers. We do think about things. We reflect, but we begin with feeling. We begin with our emotion. And both Freud and Augustine would agree with that. So we've got to come to terms with it. And the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us, guard your heart above all else, for it's the source of life. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But our culture tells us to follow our hearts but our heart changes constantly depending on our feelings. So I like what Proverbs 21.2 says. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs hearts. That brings us to today's teaching text. Paul is another one of history's great thinkers. He spoke about the flesh a lot, but I relate mostly to this part in Romans 7. I love this because he really gets into this idea a few verses earlier. He's talking about Jewish law and sin and Jesus because Paul is a Jew who's lived under Jewish law all his life, but he's discovered the grace of God and it's created this freedom in him. It's a gift to the world through the sacrifice of Christ and it has transformed him. So he begins to live life differently in freedom from the penalty of the law. Now, you know what I mean by the penalty of the law? Like the, it means one thing in a Jewish context, but you know what it means. You speed, you get caught, you get a fine. That's the penalty of the law. So there is a penalty for transgressing law. We understand that. That's what it means to live in the society we live in. So Paul lives faithfully to the law now, not because he has to, not because it makes him good or makes him righteous, but because this is his best expression of love in Christ. His best expression of love to God is to live out in the wisdom of God. And he discovers something wonderful, which is that there is a tremendous 
freedom in that. But he also discovers something else, that as he lives his life as a pastor and a missionary and a church planter and an icon of the faith, one of the great thinkers and pastors and leaders the world has ever known, he discovers this. He is still super frustrated at his flesh and what's going on inside him. You've got to remember how much we revere Paul and then read this verse in context. Verse 15, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Isn't that ridiculous? But isn't that relatable? Gosh, don't don't you hate that feeling? And then what that does, this is the work of sin, my friends. We want to do something and we don't do it and sin begins to work within us and then this is where the devil's deceptive ideas come in where instead of going, I feel guilty, I feel bad about what I've done, the devil goes, no, no, that is who you are. You are this bad person. You are this guilty person. Sit in shame and brokenness and live there and that is where you get trapped in sin. Well, it's one of the ways. Paul then goes on like this. He's basically talking out loud here. He says, if, if, I, if I do this, if I go against what I want to do, then I'm showing that law is good, that I need law, right? I only need law if I can't do what I say I want to do. And he goes on to verse 17. He says, so I am not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. It's like, oh, I mean, I mean I've had toddlers before, so I understand what this is like. Did you do this? No. Was sin in me that did it it doesn't seem to be anybody else here though so did did you throw that plate over there nah nah sin did it so like can you see how strange this sounds to go it wasn't me it was sin living in me but nobody's laughing that hard because i'm assuming not because it wasn't funny i think it was very funny but because you are all familiar you're all familiar with this tension you're all familiar with the tension of going that that's not like me What's not like you? Well, that thing I just did. But who did it? Well, I did it. But how is it not like you then? This is the tension we live in. Think of it like the little cartoon devil and angel on your shoulders, if you like, whispering two different things. We have a war of desire within us. Where Freud would tell us to give in to our desires and Augustine would remind us that we just have to order them correctly, Paul would want us to first of all be aware that that war exists You are not a unified persona. You are fragments of many different personas. Here's how you know this sort of thing, right? Like, I know it sounds like multiple personality disorder. This is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a different way we adapt to different conversations with different people, right? The amount of people, this is is a conversation I have with lots of young adults where they're like, man, it frustrates me because I'm like one way at church and then I get to work and I want to behave the same way, but I get nervous. And so I start to like, adjust to the culture around me. And they're not necessarily out and out going out and becoming sinful, horrible people or anything, but they're just adapting to the culture out of fear. Here's how I notice this a lot in my life. I am the most like white-collar human being on the planet. Like calluses is a word I have to look up in the dictionary. I don't know what hard work really is. And, but then if something needs to get done at my house, I need to call someone who can do it. I mean, Jen does a lot of it. But like something big, I'd need to call somebody. And so I call a tradie. And so I'll be talking to Jen. I'll be like, hey, Jen, I'm just going to call a tradie. And she's like, yeah, no worries. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'll just talk to a tradie. Like, yeah, g'day, mate. How you doing? <laughs> Jenny's sitting over there like, looking at me weirdly and like, yeah, no, good. <laughs> Tops, mate. Yeah. No, if you can just pop around. <laughs> All right. Yeah, great. I hang up. Jenny's like, 
Like, who are you? Like, why are you talking like that? Like, what do you mean? I was just talking normally. Like, no, you weren't. <laughs> you drop your voice an octave and, you know, that's not who you are. Just be honest about your lack of capacity and go on with your life. You're paying the trade. They're not here to be your friend. It's okay. <laughs> you see how we adapt? Like, this, this is the sort of way we adapt in different situations. A lot of it's very helpful. A lot of it is because of the sin at war within us. And so we've got to be asking ourselves, what am I adapting to just so I can understand people better? Right, that's a good thing. If you adapt a conversation to include people, helpful. If you adapt your persona to submit to sin, toxic. What am I adapting to? And the tension Paul is talking about is like this. This is the biggest problem. What catches our immediate attention in life is not the thoughtful concept off at a distance that we stop and ponder. It's our immediate emotions, our immediate feelings. It is the flesh grabbing us, grabbing our attention. This is why fast food companies pay for billboards because the flesh grabs our immediate attention. And it's it's Freud's pleasures. It's our hunger. It's our sex drive. It's our anger. It's our strongest emotional responses. So Paul is in agony as he writes this. This is what he writes, verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Paul's going, how do I deal with these two natures within me? The sinful nature, the divine nature. Billie Eilish, this is the only sermon you're ever going to hear, Freud, Augustine, Paul and Billie Eilish all in a row was interviewed for Vogue, British Vogue, in June 2021. And on the cover, she's pictured wearing a corset. And she's using this phrase. People ask her about it. She's talking about body positivity. And she uses this specific phrase. She says, it's all about what makes you feel good. It's all about what makes you feel good. Now, Billie Eilish was like 18 when this was taken. So you've got to give her some grace. But this is what she's saying. Six months later, she's on the Howard Stern Show, of all places, and she's ranting about the damaging effects of watching porn on her brain and her behaviours. Can you see the wars going on within someone? On one hand, they're going, it's all about what makes you feel good. On the other hand, they're going, I indulged in something because it made me feel good in a moment and has been toxic for my life. Which, one's, which one is you though, Billy? Yes. <laughs> yes. Both of them are me. I'm at war. I, I don't even say this to dump on Billy Eilish. She's not even being inconsistent. She's being a human being. She's wrestling with the humanity, the war of desires in everybody's soul. I teach our interns about sexual formation every year, the way culturally we are shaped into thinking about sex in different ways. And every year they, they feel about as uncomfortable as you are feeling right now hearing me talk about it like this. But I remember one year, one of our interns came up to me and they said, listen, do you realize that when you talk about this, this actually makes it worse? I was like, what are you talking about? No, it, isn't. No, it doesn't. I'm helping you. They're like, what you're doing is talking about it more, and so it's in my brain even more. It's like, you're not wrong. Paul actually talks about this. They are not wrong. That doesn't mean we shouldn't teach it. It just means we've got to understand that all the thoughts that we put into our brains are reinforcing the flesh. And the worse it gets to manage our problem, the more we think about it. Paul says that right there. Paul genuinely loves God's law. He wants to do the right thing, but something holds him back. The flesh is winning. Sometimes it's just fast food or online shopping. Sometimes it's stuff that is darker and deeper and more broken. So what do we do about that? We start with this sentence. We remember that our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. Let me say that again. Our strongest desires are not our deepest desires. Our strongest desires are the immediate ones. I want to do this. 
but our deepest desires are the, are the ones about who we want to become as a person. Now, I, I, I think this is a pretty male comment, but I'll just make it. The amount of times that I've been in a conversation, or even more, driving a car, and thoughts of violence suddenly fill my mind as somebody cuts me off or does something. Now, I'm joking, but I'm not really. Like the thoughts that cross my mind, and then of course, for rational thinking people who we want to become somebody good, we go, where did that come from? This is where it comes from. Sin at war within us. This is the war at play in our hearts. See, all of us, I think, you're here because you want to be someone of substance. You don't bother coming to church unless you go, I want to grow. I want to become someone. I want to do that in community, probably. You might be here because you come through the door, you're looking for a relationship. You might be coming through the door because you want to grow as a human being. At the heart of this all is the person you want to become. And there's only one person you can become who will fulfill you and lead you on a way of life. And his name is Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, the object is not just to believe in him, but to follow him and be transformed into the image. Paul talks about our aim is to be conformed into the image of the Son. Like it's, it's, it's a bit like it's a cookie cutter. Like I know that's not the terminology we like, but it's like there's a cookie cutter and there's a, a shape of Jesus and that's who we're trying to become. That's the shape we are trying to fit. And if we're not doing that, then we've got to work out why. And sometimes as that cutter goes on, it's sharp on the edges and it's cutting off bits of the flesh. And that is the war within our souls. That's the war, but it is a war worth fighting. And Paul would call this a war between the spirit and the flesh. And you'd say the spirit is effectively where the Holy Spirit is leading us to become like Jesus. It's not about becoming your best self. It's actually becoming Christ's best self. He has died so that you might, fulfill, you might receive all the rewards of inheritance from being the daughters and sons of God. But he's also died so that you might be transformed into the image of God now, moment upon moment, becoming more like Jesus, not because he has to have you be obedient slaves, but because he wants a life for you that is rich and flourishing and full of your best self, your best hopes, your dreams, everything coming to fruition, not because you're spoiled for choice and you're just grabbing everything in your immediate desires because that will lead you to ruin. But because in trust, you say there is only one that I can really follow who will bring me life. Yeah. It is only Jesus I can follow that will bring me life. And so you step and follow Jesus and he begins to lead you the rest of the way. It is slow. It is often painful, but it is real. And here is where it begins to come together. This is where Paul and Augustine and Billy all come together. Even Freud, Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. This is your beautiful privilege as a human being. Freedom, it's a human right. People have fought wars over freedom. And so they should. It is worthy of being fought for. But we've got to understand what is freedom and what is not. And we've got to understand that actually a lot of the freedom that we embrace is the freedom to be broken. And we step into sin in that freedom. When we hear the second part of the verse... Stand firm, therefore, and don't let yourself be burdened with the yoke of slavery. We don't like that very much in contemporary Australia. We don't like the idea that someone would tell us what to do, and we certainly don't think we're enslaved. We think we should discover who we are by chasing new experiences or looking inside yourself, both of which you'll come up empty. But God has another plan. That's a deceptive idea. That's a freedom the devil pushes you towards that your own flesh craves, and it's not a freedom at all. 
It's actually a slavery to impulse. And when you become a slave to something impulsively, and then you do it again and again and again, it is called an addiction, and then you are broken in bondage to something that you no longer can control. All addictions begin with someone trying something and going, I could quit any time I wanted to. And that is the battle of the flesh. That is the battle of the flesh. It is an addiction to desire, and it will trap you and enslave you. It actually does the opposite of what it promises. It promises freedom. It offers slavery. Jesus' vision of freedom is dramatically different from Sigmund Freud's, to put it lightly. Freedom as modeled by Jesus is freedom to pursue and live out the will of God the Father. Now, that doesn't sound like freedom at all. That sounds like you're being told what to do, and you kind of are. Freud would call it repression, but this is why the kingdom of God is sometimes called an upside-down kingdom, because where this world promises freedom and actually gives slavery, the vision of the kingdom of God can look like slavery, but actually offers life, both now and into the future, by giving you a way to follow. The first Christians were called followers of the way. Jesus is giving you a path to walk. He isn't demanding obedient slaves for an empire. He's inviting you to recognize your identity as daughters and sons. Jesus calls you friend, not servant. Instead of a wide, appealing way that looks so easy but leads to death at the end, Jesus offers one a bit more narrow, but it leads to life. And then he challenges us to choose. And it is the flesh and the spirit at war asking, do I take the wide, easy way and then wonder why I am so deeply unfulfilled? Or do I take a narrow, difficult way, still with suffering, still with hardship, but with deep transformation and fulfillment? And the invitation of Jesus is, come, follow me. Follow me. He's trying to speak to the spirit, battling the flesh to say, come, come. Deep's calling to deep. Holy Spirit's calling to your spirit. Come, follow me. But if the flesh is holding us back, then we need to do something about the flesh. And so that leads me to tonight's spiritual practice. And um, band, you guys can come back up. We've been trying to end our messages with Live No Lies with a spiritual practice to follow. Because in order to do something well, you need to practice, right? Practice makes perfect. We want you to be excellent successful followers of the way of Jesus. And so we want you to learn spiritual practices to follow. And so today, as Jesus invites you to take up a cross and follow him, I want to invite you towards the spiritual practice of confession. See, to defeat the desires of the flesh, we need something powerful. We actually need something that identifies and calls out what's going on in our flesh. Because the great secret we do is we go, if I do it and nobody knows about it, it's okay, as long as it isn't hurting anybody. I wonder if that's how Woody Allen felt. As long as it's not hurting anybody, apart from your extended family and everyone who's ever worked with you. As long as it's not hurting anybody, one of the great lies of our life. We think we're doing things in the dark. Friends, there is no such thing. Everything is light with God. He sees what's going on. And he doesn't, he's not judging you so much as like just wringing his hands in grief, going, oh, why? why? Why would you do that? Why would you choose that? Why? Don't be in darkness when I'm calling you. I'm inviting you to life. Now, my friend Dale Stevenson likes to say that the truth is our friend when we know we're loved, yeah. right? And in Christ, you may have heard the verse, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's a promise of God. But more than that, it will set you free 
and you can come towards that truth and tell the truth about yourself because you're loved by God. And friends, you're loved here too. This is a safe space for confession. I've prepped our elders and, and they're actually going to be ready to take your confession. It's an ancient practice. The book of James encourages us, confess your sins to one another, not to God, to one another. Yes, you still need to do it to God. That's very, very helpful. But we confess our sins to one another because it breaks the power of those sins. Now, you might be here and you've come with somebody that you know and are comfortable with much more than one of our eldership team. That's totally fine. I would encourage you to confess your sins to them, the power of God's in the people of God. Not in me, not in Jen, not in the elders. But there is an importance to bringing our sins out of the darkness and into the light. Jesus said that. When we do that, the sin that is crushing us begins to lose its hold on us. So friends, I want to begin this process by just inviting you to reflect for a moment. Some of you know straight away. What's the sin in the deep places of your heart that is actually holding you back from life with God? And when I say holding you back, I really mean think of a like there is a hand at the back of your shirt and you're moving towards God, but it's just, it pulls you every time. Is it just consistent distraction? Why don't you close your eyes for a moment as you reflect on this and invite God to bring something to mind. Maybe it's as simple as consistent distraction. Maybe you are a selfish person. You wrestle with selfishness. Maybe it's greed. Maybe you're somebody who's struggling with pornography addiction. Maybe it's an alcohol addiction. Maybe you're a person who loves to know what's going on with everybody else. You're gossiping. Friends, this isn't about me. You don't, you don't need, I don't need to know this stuff. This is between you and God and the person serving as a confessor to you. What's God bringing to mind? What is holding you back in your relationship with Jesus? If I was to reflect on my time as a pastor, I would say it's, it's not that common to have to really go to war with the devil. It's not much fun either. Be aware, yes. You know, Peter talks about be aware of your enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion. And yes, we have to prepare ourselves and speak against the patterns of this world and identify the anti-God system speaking in our lives, but mostly it is our flesh we're at war with. Mostly it's our immediate desires, our immediate gratifications that are pulling us away from fidelity to Jesus. And I know that one way of looking at it is to go, oh, so God wants all of us. Well, yeah, it actually only works that way. You can't half-ass Jesus. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can quote me on that. It's amazing. It won't work because you'll be split already. You're already split, your flesh and your spirit, trying to pursue two different lives. One, the patterns of this world, the way of the flesh, codified, accepted, and the other, the Holy Spirit, leading you towards life. And Jesus says, choose this day. Actually, Joshua said it, but Jesus would have liked it, I reckon. Joshua said to his people, he said, choose this day who you'll follow, the Lord your God, or the idols of the land. That's what we're doing here, friends. Choose this day who you would follow. 
The truth is your friend when you know you're loved. You can be free in Christ. And do you know what? You might not be able to do it all today, but as my wife would say, you can do something. You can start, you can do something. It's time to do something in your spirit. Time to step towards freedom in Christ. I'm just going to invite us into a moment of prayer now. And elders, I wonder if our elders could come up the front. And this is an opportunity for people to confess their sins. It's powerful to do that. Really, really powerful. Guys, there's nobody in this room that doesn't have a sin of the flesh they're wrestling with. What I want to do is invite God to speak to you about what that is and give you the chance to unburden yourself and receive God's forgiveness. Let me pray a blessing. And then as we worship, I'm going to invite you either to find someone you know, trust and love to confess to or to come up front and really take a minute. Take a minute to sit in this, to think about what it is that God is is pressing on your heart because this can be the moment of breakthrough. Let me pray. Lord, we come before you as conflicted people, torn between these two desires of flesh and spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us in the depths of our heart. Lord, we're longing for your presence. We're hungry for you. Lord, if we're honest, sin doesn't make us feel like, it doesn't make us feel really comfortable to talk about. But God, we do want that freedom. We're both scared of dealing with it, but we want the freedom. That's the tension. Lord, would you give us the courage to hear your voice gently telling us what is the sin we need to address and to come and confess it and receive not just forgiveness, but freedom. The freedom of bringing something from the darkness into the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.